From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Ashley Coaches, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. This week, we bring you an archive piece with Paths for the People, an Edmonton-based organization dedicated to making urban cycling safe for Edmontonians. That's all coming up on Terra Informa, but first, here are some environmental headlines from around the globe. For 13 years, volunteers from the Migrant Dragonfly Project have been recording dragonfly numbers in the UK, and this year a record influx of rare dragonflies have been spotted in the UK, including the dainty damselfly, which was last spotted in 1953. Eleanor Clover of the British Dragonfly Society attributes these changes to climate change and the changes in migration patterns of these insects have appeared in different parts of the globe. Adrian Parr of the Migrant Dragonfly Project added that the world of insect migration is not well known or studied, and that more research on dragonfly migration could give us a better understanding about the world. Eighty-nine thousand liters of oil and water have leaked from a pipeline 65 kilometers northwest of Red Earth Creek, Alberta. The company responsible, Mount Bastion Oil and Gas Corp has stated that the spill has affected 5,000 square meters of muskeg, though there is no data on harm to wildlife or streams in the surrounding areas. Mount Bastion has a track record when it comes to pipeline spills, with three spills in the Red Earth area in the past 16 months. The most recent spill was the largest of those three. The Alberta Energy Regulator says that the frequency of spills by Mount Bastion will be taken into account when investigating the spills and the fines that could apply. On November 24, 2017, Nuo Global Energy launched in Edmonton, Alberta. The word NUO is Cree for working in harmony with the four elements of Earth. This company, based out of Camrose, Alberta, is a non-for-profit focusing on making affordable and sustainable changes to homes. They offer solar installations and electrical contractors and emphasize a focus on education. Have you ever wondered about how walking and biking fits into the urban Edmonton transportation conversation? This week, we play an archive piece with Conrad Nobert, 
the executive director of Paths for People. In 2012, Isaac Cornelson was biking on White Avenue and was struck by a car and killed. This terrible event was a wake-up call for many Edmontonians, including Conrad Nobert, the executive director of Paths for People. Terra Informers Shelley Jodwin and Amanda Rooney spoke with Conrad in June 2017 after the release of their new multi-use trail policy recommendations. They discussed reimagining the use of public space, hopes and ideas for the future, and those recommendations. Here's Shelley Jodwin and Amanda Rooney with that story. My name is Conrad Nobert, so I'm the vice chair of Paths for People. Um, we're an organization that uh, I helped co-found in late 2015, so we're about a year and a half old. We've had quite a bit of success, I would say, in our mission and vision and all that stuff. So we're just, you know, continuing our work and um, hopeful about a more walkable, bikeable Edmonton. Our our vision is a more walkable and bikeable Edmonton uh, through urban design. What led you to found Paths for People? Well, um, for me personally, it, it started in 2012, I believe. That was the year that uh, Isaac Cornelson, who was a 19-year-old University of Alberta student and triathlete, was uh, riding his bike on White Avenue and he he got hit and killed. You know, up up till then we had been talking about bike lanes in Edmonton and we'd been doing them poorly. And, uh, but that one really, you know, struck a chord with me and and I think with a lot of people. So, so that's what got me to, to get active in this role seeing that the city really needed to be pushed to to uh, develop a sense of urgency around putting people on bikes and also people walking uh you know a little bit giving them a uh, a bit more priority in 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 terms of uh, infrastructure you know than they had been getting so that's where it all started and there's kind of a story that leads up to us actually founding it but but that's where it started and uh, yeah we've been working since then I remember that actually. I was uh, I was a student when when that accident happened, and I remember there being a, sort of a group ride in in memory of him. Do you sort of see that as a a point where the conversation really started to happen? Yeah, and um, at at the time I was really upset about it, and I, and I went on that ride and stuff. Jacob was on that ride too, my son. I decided to organize a, t- a town hall meeting, cyclist town hall meeting. And so I did that. I invited a couple of uh, politicians to it. And so, yeah, that's when I think the, the conversation changed. I think that people started to find their voice. Um, we, dis- we started to find our voice, you know, the people who, who had been marginalized for so long by public transportation infrastructure system 
that had prioritized the speed and and convenience of motor vehicles for you know really since since we st- since they were invented almost since since shortly thereafter so you know so I think people started to that and and also um, because that was really uh, now is the age of social media and stuff it's really easy to get um, educated about this and see that you know what there is an alternative and so yeah I think I think that Isaac's passing. Well, it's tragic. It, it it was tragic because it was it was preventable. And uh, even though he was doing everything that uh, people on a bike are supposed to do, you know, according to the old uh, convention, he still lost his life just for trying to get around in a healthy way, which is unacceptable. And so I, I think that 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 really uh, coalesced the the uh, community to do something. Yeah. Wow. So you've been pretty busy since then. It sounds like. So you've just released a policy recommendation to the city about what they should do with their trails. Yeah, last summer we came up with the idea of a, a network of, of separated bike routes downtown. And then, you know, we went to Stantec and asked them to fund half of a white paper kind of study on it. And they agreed. And then we, you know, brought that to the to the city and, and um, asked them if, if they would consider building it. So that that's kind of been our biggest achievement so far as this uh, downtown bike network, which was just opened last week, actually. So we're, we're very excited and, and proud about that and also very keen to um, develop the next segment, which is going to be the Southside Bike Grid, you know, right around the university and, and um, Strathcona. So we're feeling good about things right now. Were there any other, any other sort of high points that, that or milestones along the way that, that brought you to today? Another big one, we've been working for like over a year on this file of, you know, there's this concept that started in South America called Ciclovia. Every Sunday, they were going to close down large, you know, parts of their of their uh, street network to cars. And when you close it to cars, you open it up to everyone else. There, it's now just automatically, they have millions of people per year, uh, you know, participating in this Ciclovia festival. So we've been, you know, working with the city for uh, over a year on this project, and and it uh, you know looks like it'll it'll happen for next summer, and you know we're actually calling it High Level Sundays. So we're going to open up the High Level Bridge to people on three Sunday mornings. You know the High Level Bridge, and also north of the High Level and and south of the High Level. So 109th Street probably. We don't have the exact routes chosen yet, mm-hmm. but uh, and you know just to to invite people to. Uh, experience our infrastructure, especially the high-level bridge, which is uh, has been contentious recently and and is a real icon in Edmonton and very dominated by the the noise and the almost threatening violence of cars. Uh, cars just own the high-level bridge. Everyone else is kind of on the on the margins. So yeah, we're uh, we're like really excited about that. We've been uh, we've entered into a partnership with the city to to develop it, and it looks like it's going to go ahead. Oh, we're not quite there. The, it has to pass one more vote at, at council, but that's another big piece. I think that um, probably would generate a bit of a mind shift for people. Yeah, and it, yeah, you, you, know, you actually picked up kind of right on, on our, our part of our goal, and it always has been and is, is to be positive and to have fun, right? So we just think it'd be super fun, you know, to be able to, you know, to enjoy, you know, these streets in a, a different way where you're not worried about this kind of threat of, I guess, being mowed down at any time. You know, mm-hmm. there's always that kind of low level of, of stress there, especially yeah. if you're traveling around with a child or, or yeah. uh, you know, someone who's a little bit more vul- vulnerable. But also, yeah, you know, we want people to be able to see 
the possibilities, right? You know, we've only ever envisioned one way to use probably 70% of our, of our public um, transportation space. And uh, maybe there are a lot of possibilities. And, you know, we really try at, at Pass for People to kind of step aside from this car versus yeah. bikes, big fight that, you know, it seems to happen everywhere. And, and, you know, whenever something happens, everyone wants to point their finger at each other, right? Oh, you did something wrong or your group does something wrong. And it's, it's, it's very di- uh, divisive. We see it as the infrastructure failed us. You know, if you're driving a car, which I do, we own a car and, and, we, and we drive around, you're going, you're going to respond to the signals that, that, you're, that the road is giving you. And if you're riding a bike, you're going to do the same thing. And if you're walking. And so, you know, we don't, we don't like to focus on this. Oh, we need to educate each other and, and, and point fingers and, and figure out who's to blame every time somebody gets hurt or killed. We think, and, and this has proven itself out in so many areas, uh, like other jurisdictions, that if you change the infrastructure, you can change the result. So. Right. And so I guess that's kind of what's happening with those, like, new bike lanes that mean different infrastructure will lead to like, different behavior yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah it's easy right it's easy to point a finger when you're in distress like that yes. um, and yeah, I think totally. I mean we're all guilty of it a more measured solution is to have a, a better long-term plan um, and set up and so it sounds like that's sort of what you're pushing for with this new policy recommendation yes so can you tell us a bit about what's in it and how it's different from what the city already has going on okay yeah sure so and, and this actually goes back to kind of uh, the high-level bridge again. So, uh, you know, recently the, the um, like city put out a, what's called an RFP request for uh, like proposal for a design company to look at the top of the high-level bridge, which right. of course is very exciting. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of room up there and, and there are some possibilities for maybe um, putting people on bikes and, and, and walking uh, up at the very top, which would be super awesome. Yeah. But... Um, in this RFP, it said, you know, they're looking for multi-use trails up there. And so we, we you know, kind of twigged on that and, and thought, well, wait a minute, like this is, this would be probably the, the busiest quote-unquote multi-use trail in the city um, if, if it gets built. Um, and, but the multi-use trail kind of, you know, traditionally in, in uh, Edmonton, we've, we've built that and pointed to it as, okay, this is as good as it gets. So this is the highest level of, you know, look at what we've given you kind of thing, which, you know, everyone's always grateful for. They're, they've, they serve a lot of great purposes. But in some situations, we feel that that there is a level of infrastructure that's a step higher than a multi-use trail, which would be segregation of people walking and uh, like people biking. So kind of a multi-use trail, it would look like a multi-use trail for bikes only, and then beside it, or maybe separated by a row of you know, low bushes or something would be a nice walking path. We, uh, you know, actually contracted a, a researcher writer to do a, um, you know, four-page white paper on 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 what's happening around the world and what, you know, also in 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 other cities in Canada and make a, a policy recommendation about. Okay, City of Edmonton. You know, we want to work with you guys. We think you should start thinking a little bit in a more sophisticated way about multi-use trails. So, what what are you, what are you recommending? We don't we don't have uh, actual parameters because all of this stuff is really new in in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, you know, people are there's this revolution is probably a strong word, but you know, <laughs> people people want to get around and move around safely and uh, outside of cars. Uh, so, so there isn't actually any well-established parameters around when a multi-use trail isn't good enough. 
because it is good enough in, in some situations, right? So, so you know, there are remote parts of the River Valley where there's like, uh, you know, 20 people use it per hour, let's say, during the summer. And, and a multi-use trail is fine, right? Because if you're, if you're riding your bike, um, you might see one or two people on your bike ride. You just give your bell a ring and there's a lot of room to go around them and, and it all works yeah, out. Yeah. But, um, you know, for example, like, like one of the mo- most infamous examples would be um, Saskatchewan Drive. Just a, an insult to anyone, uh, you know, whoever uses it. Like at some points, it's like a meter and a half wide. Mm-hmm. And there's supposed to yeah. be two-way bike traffic and two-way uh, pedestrian traffic on it at the same time. So, yeah. so that would be the other extreme, and that would be a, a situation of a of a of a path that uh, is used enough that it would warrant segregation. But we don't have exact numbers. But you know, they, like we need to come up with the the city need, needs to come up with numbers. Like you know, if there's say 25 users per hour or something like that you know a certain a certain Some number kind of, of threshold users. yes yeah. then yeah. then we will build and 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 actually it's uh you know like they need to be able to to predict how many will use it once there's an upgraded trail there as mm-hmm. well because good infrastructure draws users out to people out to use it so it sort of sounds like um what you're going for is twofold right so you want to have some usage thresholds in which you'll you'll have um, like the city needs different types of infrastructure, right? Under a certain threshold, maybe a combined multi-use is is fine, but above that threshold, maybe you need to start separating it mm-hmm. out by use. And then do you have any thoughts, I guess, on what what are best practices? Was that a part of your white paper? Sort of what is a best practice in terms of um, what those thresholds are and then what what it looks like? above that certainly what it what it looks like above that would be you know what i um, described earlier like like having a three meter wide um bike only path um possibly separated by a little barrier and then um, ideally a two meter wide uh, walking path so we would want the um the city to to come up with a threshold that is conservative you know um leans towards building good infrastructure rather than you know, making it something where you you make a mistake, put in something that that isn't good enough, and then and then it's difficult to retrofit later. So we recently commented on this uh, draft document that the the city is working on. Um, you know, it's the uh, you know, complete streets guidelines, which you know they actually uh, th- there's a there's a an official version that exists from 2013, and they are um, you know revising it, and so we. We, we commented on that um, it's and and so it's probably going to go to council this fall or, or or next spring and there's a lot of great stuff in there but we've we've pushed them pretty far on a lot of other stuff that we didn't think went far enough so so the the city has an opportunity to you know to take some leadership to be honest we've been looking for leaders within the city uh, for a few years and finding some and and more are uh, emerging, and so I think that uh, you know people within administration are are starting to realize that the old way of um, measuring everything through what's called level of service, which is code for getting the cars through fast and as many as you can, um, isn't isn't you know going to work anymore in the in the uh, like long term. And so uh, like actually we've we've had uh, people who work at the city, usually younger people. Who have contacted us and, and thanked us and said, you know, because they, they they felt frustrated. There's this kind of 
there has been in the past. I'm not saying this isn't changing, but there's been this layer of kind of old guard, uh, um, upper upper management um, that that has uh, kept everything prioritized very much, you know, towards vehicular mm-hmm. convenience and speed. So there's a real disconnect between our transportation infrastructure and the type of users that it induces. And so there's this concept of induced demand. If you build a road, that becomes a subsidy, a nice empty road, and people respond to that subsidy and use it. But there, um, induced demand works in, in two ways, because you can, you can induce uh, people to drive their cars. You can do the same with, with walking and biking. Mm-hmm. And so um, from a, a climate change perspective, in the, in the center of Edmonton, it, it doesn't make sense to try to get people to, to bike from Rutherford, from, you know, from 15 kilometers away from if they work downtown, a 15 kilometer an hour, or sorry, uh, um, long bike commute isn't, isn't really realistic. But there is like 250,000 Edmontonians who, who live in, in, in the center, what, what we're calling the center, and, and a lot of their trips could be by bike and by walking, and a lot of them would do it if the infrastructure is in place. And so, so we want to see um, a, a cohesion between or an um, agreement between our uh, like motivations to, to fight climate change and our, and our transportation policies because there's a disconnect when you're, when you're kind of making it great and awesome to drive everywhere mm-hmm. at the same time as wanting to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So, so biking and walking play c- can play a like, significant role and, and we're interested in pushing that issue a little bit further. Cycling and, and walking and I guess active transportation broadly um, also has a, a more social context in the sense that it's way cheaper to bike around than to own a vehicle and drive around. Absolutely. And so we have tons of communities that are not located in the center that I think, I mean, from my perspective, could probably hugely benefit from um, having uh, a, net- a network such as the one that uh, we've just established in downtown within their own communities and connecting them mm-hmm. to other communities. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing... St- some attempts at that with the LRT expansion, yep. which is in the future. Is that something that's on the horizon? Are you, are you thinking of, have you spoken with any of those communities? Have, has anyone sort of shown interest in that that you know of? It is It is certainly in our in our medium to long-term plans. And yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I guess we, we are looking to shift as many people who are open to the idea as, as possible. I think politically our, our, our city is there right now, you know, because we we kind of tried to roll out some low quality bike lanes uh, in faraway places and and you know people pushed back and 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 so the kind of political consensus i think right now is high quality all ages and abilities networks in in uh, central edmonton For 4 to 5 years you know we our goal is is to have the city build out that network uh, by about 7 or 8 kilometers always connected to the original network though each year but i think at at the same time we can build kind of um, arterial spines of uh, all ages and abilities routes that uh, you know go go to the north and west, east and and well not so much east but but certainly south. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that I think that and and um, you know there's another this time I will use the term potential revolution happening, which is <laughs> e-bikes. So um, like like, uh, like, um, like you know e-bikes are, are are like rapidly coming down in price and you know becoming much more. Uh, common and and uh, so someone who did live in Rutherford and didn't want to 
kind of provide the muscle power to go 30 kilometers a day, but maybe the muscle power that 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 would get them 10 kilometers and uh, the e-power to go another 20, right? So, uh, like, all of a sudden, if you have an e-bike, distances on by bike are are much shorter. You know, so like, so I think that 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 there is a, a lot of potential, um, but we are pretty far behind in this city. Would e-bikes be allowed in uh, bike lanes? In Holland, nobody cares what kind of bike they ride, and so you know, I I went I went there a, a few years back. I'm sure some of them do. Actually, I should I should say some of them definitely do. And in Holland, they're the ones with helmets and lycra, so there are these these road riders. But on the other hand, then there's all of these, especially, you know, the young males riding around on like what we would call a Mary Poppins bike. So this bike, it's a step through bike um, and and probably they don't even know what what brand it is. And so that's where what we at at, uh, like pass for people when it comes to to cycling. You know, we want to see like. You know, nobody, everyone vacuums their house. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares what kind of vacuum they have. No one's a vacuumist, <laughs> right? You just vacuum your house. And so, you know, we want to move towards that culture where I'm just a person who gets around on a bike. Now, as, as, as far as e-bikes and, uh, like, regulations go, yeah, uh, we, we, we haven't thought about it too, too much. Um, you know, it, it would definitely be um, electric assist. So, so uh, you know anything that that is as light, close to as light as a bike, and and goes thirty kilometers or 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 less. I don't I don't see a problem. You know with 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 that kind of person or and their contraption being being on a on, on like all 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 ages and abilities uh, cycling network. I think I think that that would be fine. Uh, like also, it's very easy then to to pigeonhole like a lot of the people who are against. Uh, bike lanes and stuff like that. Like they see cycling as recreational, and so and and it's it's great for people to use it as as, as recreation. But we're looking for um, acceptance into uh, you know the the broader really the, the the realm of public spending. We want them to spend some money on on bikes as a form of transportation. So and and they're they're uh, very different, right? You know, like riding a road bike and and riding riding a mountain bike. Uh, both of those are are. are are generally forms of recreation. They're awesome and stuff, but that's that's a lot different than I just want to get to work, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Or pick up groceries or whatever, and it doesn't matter if I'm on a stand-up bike because I just want to enjoy myself and get around. And you know, if I don't make my Strava time or whatever, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you know. to hear even more stories like that, check out our website at terrainforma.ca. And while you're there, look for the survey tab in the menu. We would love to get to know our listeners and what you enjoy about the show. Your input can influence the content we gather over the next year. Have you ever wanted to be on the radio? Terrainforma is recruiting. If you want to join our team and share your stories, check us out at the About Us tab 
at terrainforma.ca. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at Terra Informa. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks to this week's contributors, Charlotte Thomason, Amanda Bruni, Jason Lang, and Sophia Osborne. I've been your host, Ashley Coaches. Catch you next week.